You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, um, let's do this. Uh, if you have your Bible, let's open up the first John chapter four. And again, I apologize if you went to the church page and you didn't see any video, you might have saw put a, a note there. We were starting late this morning because uh, we couldn't actually get it on the church page. Not sure what's going on, but irrelevant. We are here. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and dive into this at first John chapter four. And let me just talk for a moment um, a little bit of where this came out of. I was um, I was talking with a friend of mine. And uh, we were talking about temptation, temptation, and just kind of like, you know, where temptation is and all that other good stuff. Not where it is, but uh, the role that temptation plays in the life of a believer. Uh, and we preach grace, I think, heavily in our church. We preach grace a lot in our church. Um, grace is not so much of a topic as much as it is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. So the more you talk about grace, you're talking about Jesus. Uh, I, you know, I tell this story all the time, but years ago, I was told to stop preaching grace. So I just changed the word grace for Jesus. And that was the best way to do it to me. <laughs> so again, you know, you may not always say the word grace, the G word, but by saying Jesus, I'm sorry. Yeah. By saying Jesus, the two are interchangeable. Now there's, it comes a time where some people preach Jesus and they, and they find a way to condemn people. You miss the whole point. All right. At the end of the day, Jesus is grace personified. John said in John chapter one, John said, uh, we beheld him, the glory as of the only begotten of the father. He was full of grace. And he was full of truth. Then he goes on to say this two verses later, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So when you understand what grace is, you understand that grace is the person of Jesus. And every time Jesus uh, did anything, every time he healed one person, he never looked at them and said, what have you done or what have you not done? He never looked at one leper and said, you know, come back later. Right now, this sickness is to teach you a lesson. Come back later and, and we'll, we'll talk about your healing. You know, he never looked at one prostitute and said, why do you deserve to be set free? He never did that. He never asked anyone, did they forgive enough? Did they do enough? What he did was he healed them. He set them free and he let his goodness cause them to repent. He let his goodness do the rest. And so then, you know, on this side of the cross, the question is, well, what about temptation? You know, what about when we give in to temptation? And, you know, we, let me say this. We have a lot of messages on our podcast. You can go back and listen to any of those. Uh, hold on one second. I apologize. Yeah, we have a lot of messages on our podcast about forgiveness, about being the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm sorry. I'm just going to tilt these up one second. Sorry. There we go. Cool. We good? Yeah, we good? All right, sweet. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, messages about that on the podcast. So you can go back and listen to any of those. But as far as the believer is concerned, let me say this. Forgiveness is not something you're trying to get. Forgiveness is something that you already have. When you look at what Paul says as our apostle, I'm sorry, one second. I apologize. We are still like doing this number. Can I, uh, there we go. Sweet, sweet. Sorry. Anyways, uh, when you look at what the apostle Paul says in the New Testament, he never talks about forgiveness like it's something that you're trying to get. Every time he talks about forgiveness, it's something that you've already got. In Ephesians, he says this, we have received this, we have received that. In fact, we're not going to start there, but if I wanted to, we could go to Ephesians chapter one. And he goes on to say this, you have received all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You are this, you are that. But then he says this, you already have the forgiveness of sins. 
So again, you're not trying to get forgiveness. You know, when you go to the Lord, uh, I was talking to another friend of mine. We were talking about forgiveness and repentance. And I just made, you know, I made a comment to him. You know, I had done something a couple of days before and I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, you know, I, I apologize. I shouldn't have done this. You know, but the difference is this. I don't go to God asking for forgiveness to be forgiven. I go letting him know I'm sorry because I'm already forgiven. Now, I know that might be a play on words, but again, keep in mind forgiveness. You don't get it a little bit at a time. Jesus didn't die for all your sins up to the point of your next sin, because if that's the case, then he has to come back and die again for the next sin and for the next sin and for the next sin. But that's not the case at all. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, he offered up one sacrifice for all time. And that one sacrifice set us free from a lifetime of sin. Now, when we go to God, I'm not saying that we don't say, oh, Lord, you know, I'm sorry. Oh, Lord, I should have done that. But I go to him or I'm more free to go to him. Because I'm not trying to get it. I go to him because I know that I've already gotten it. And the difference is when you go knowing that you already have forgiveness, you appreciate the payment of Jesus Christ more. Again, you will appreciate what Jesus did because you realize the price he paid to set you free from how bad you just were a few moments ago. So again, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, you know, hey, we, we don't ever. No, I go to him because I know I'm already forgiven. Now, knowing that, again, back on the topic of temptation, the question of temptation comes up is this. When you look at temptation, most people go straight to, you know, oh, I'm tempted to do something I shouldn't do or, you know, I know I shouldn't take this, but I do it anyways. Or I know I shouldn't eat this, but I do it anyways. The idea of temptation kind of settles into people. But keep in mind, the worst form of temptation you can have is the temptation to slip back into a works righteousness. In fact, this uh, Friday night, we're going to do a Bible study about that. Um, in fact, what the worst sin is. And we'll get into that Friday. I'm really excited about it. Uh, but keep in mind. To me, the worst form of temptation, or I'm sorry, the worst temptation you can slip into right now is the temptation to step into fear. Now, I say that on purpose. Keep in mind, fear is propagated on the idea that you have to do something on your own. Or let me say it this way. If you don't do something, nothing's going to happen. Now, for the believer, Jesus has done something. Let me, I, I like to say in our church sometimes, Jesus broke the dam. Everything that God has for us, it was all behind the dam. And Jesus came through the cross, broke the dam. Not everything that God has for us floods our life. It floods our world. And now we have access to everything Jesus did for us. But the problem is most people, myself included, you know, I put myself in this boat as too, in my boat, in the, I put myself in this boat too. Most of the time when problems happen, our first thought isn't, well, uh, you know, I'm sorry, my mind went blank. My first thought isn't, uh, God, you know, I thank you that you've taken care of it. Most of the time I have to be reminded that the Lord took care of it and that he wants to take care of it. So the, 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 the question, I'm sorry, not the question, but the temptation is to not slip into that thought process or that mentality that I have to do something. Because if I slip into that, fear is going to creep in. Now, if you go back to the very first sin in the Garden of Eden, again, I know I'm talking a lot. I'm about, to, I'm about to get to the Bible in just a moment. But when you get to that first sin in the Garden of Eden, the first sin came from the first law. God gave the law. He said, do not eat from this tree. In other words, thou shalt not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Don't eat from this tree. And out of that, Adam and Eve were doomed. In fact, the Bible says in, um, I'm trying to think, I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 56, the sting of death is sin, but the strength of sin is the law. The moment the law entered, God said, don't eat from this tree. Sin now had strength. But until that law came, there was no strength to want to eat from that tree. So what you see right here is this. The law entered. All of a sudden, they had no, they had no chance, really, because the law entered. They were going to sin. But keep in mind, when God found Adam, he said, Adam, where are you? 
And when he came into the garden, Adam said, we were hiding from you because we were afraid. Now, the deeper root, deeper than fear is the law. And we can get into that another time. But this morning, I want to share about this specifically. The root that most of us can see on the surface is fear. Now, when it comes to fear, let me say this. Growing up, you know, word of faith and whatnot, you know, and I praise God for that foundation. But growing up in that, uh, you know, there were times as a kid I would be afraid and I would try to psych myself out of fear. Now, I'm all for quoting scripture. Don't get me wrong. I believe you should quote scripture. In fact, Jesus quoted scripture when he combated Satan in the wilderness. And we'll get to that in a moment, too. But keep in mind, a lot of it came from I'm going to get myself out of fear by doing something. The more I do this or the more I address fear, fear is going to be gone. What I found is that it never really helped. I think if most of us are honest with ourselves, we can say, you know, we can try to psych ourselves out of fear or try to motivate ourselves out of being afraid. But at the end of the day, that's actually not God's answer to dealing with fear. In fact, let's look at this in 1 John chapter 4. Look at um, verse 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now watch this. Because fear involves torment or torture, depending on which version you're reading. He says, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now watch this. We love because he first loved us. Now one more time, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You know, years ago, I used to think it was my love for my wife, perfect love, right? Or my love for my son, perfect love, love my parents have for me. Excuse me. I used to think that that was perfect love, but nothing could be further from the truth. The whole context is talking about the love that God has for us. That's the perfect love. So what he's saying is this. Anytime that there's fear in your heart, don't try to psych the fear out of your heart. Instead, if you're afraid of something or you're afraid of an outcome, you're afraid that something at work is going to go the wrong way. You're afraid that something in your house is going the wrong way. Whatever you're afraid of, all right, if you have a uh, severe anxiety, all right, let's say you have a severe anxiety driving your car to work every day, all right, uh, whatever the problem is, whatever the fear is. Right here, he gives you the secret. The way to get rid of fear is not by trying to motivate, psych yourself, and I say this carefully, trying to use different forms of therapy to get out. God gives you the very simple answer right here. Perfect love will get that fear out of your life. It will take it out. Literally, perfect love. And it's not the love that we have for each other, but it's the love that God has for all of us. In fact, if you read the context, just a few verses before this, in verse 10, he goes on to say this. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loves us. So again, it's not how much you love someone else. It's not how much you love God even. It's how much God loves you. And that love that God has for you, that's the love that will remove all the fear out of your life. Now, knowing that, knowing that again, because I want you to keep this in mind, knowing that when you are conscious of God's love for you, fear will leave. You don't have to worry about trying to get rid of fear. Just focus on God's love for you. In fact, you know, I tell a church all the time and I want to remind you because this week I had to remind myself. Matthew, you know, I was afraid of a few different things going different ways. And again, I had to let the Holy Spirit remind me. I'm not even going to take credit. I had to let the Holy Spirit remind me, son, are you aware of how much I love you? And so I went back to the podcast and I started listening to sermons about the love of God for me. And the more the love of God for me settled in my mind, I can't tell you how fast fear was gone because I didn't have time to think about fear. It's impossible for you to think about how much God loves you and at the same time be absolutely terrified of an outcome. When you know that God loves you, you know that he will move no matter what the problem is. So focus on God's love for you. Let me share that with you. Focus on God's love for you, no matter how bad it gets, no matter which direction the world turns. Yeah, you know, they say COVID-19 is starting to uh, level out, but the second wave could be worse than the first. Let me say this. Focus on God's love for you. In fact, when I was preparing for this this morning, one of the last messages I was able to share, um, 
as a church before we ended uh, is on the podcast and it's called Protected and Loved. And in that message, I shared something that the Lord shared with me the night before that service. And so I didn't have a lot of time to meditate. But since then, I've been meditating, meditating on it a lot. And one of the things the Lord shared with me was this. He said, son, the communion will produce healing in your life. But he said this, my love will keep you in that place of perfect health. So again, focus on God's love for you. You know, if you're sick this morning, we're going to take communion at the end. Don't worry, we're going to take communion. But once you get that healing, once that manifests for you, focus on God's love for you. Stay in a place where you remind yourself every day, I am the one that Jesus loves. I am the one that Jesus loves. You know, at work, I tell myself all the time, I am the supervisor that Jesus loves. At home, I tell myself, I am the father that Jesus loves. I am the husband that Jesus loves. Everywhere I go, I'm trying to remind myself, and I'm trying. I'm not there, but I'm trying. Remind yourself, you are the one that Jesus loves. And the more you remind yourself of that, it's impossible for fear to settle into your mind. So let's get there together. Sound good? (laughs) Now look at this in Galatians chapter 5. Let's flip back to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter five, and we're going to pick up at verse four. All right. Now, when it comes to uh, when it comes to dealing with fear, keep in mind, if you don't remind yourself that you are the one that God loves, if you don't remind yourself that God loves you, if you don't let the Holy Spirit make that a reality in your heart, what's going to happen is the temptation to stand up and do something. uh, The temptation to address problems is going to settle in. You're going to end up doing things you shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, my wife used to tell me years ago, she would say, when you're somewhere you're not supposed to be, you'll do something you're not supposed to do. Well, not, I'm telling you, that applies so much to this message this morning, because you are supposed to be seated in Christ, seated, not standing up trying to solve every problem. You're supposed to be seated. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, me and my mom, we were doing one on here, and uh, the verse that she pulled out um, was a powerful verse in Corinthians. He says this to Jesus. He says, Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Well, all of us are in Christ. So that's the same reality for all of us. In Christ, we should sit down and let God make all of our enemies our footstool. Our position is to be seated, not standing up trying to solve every problem. So right here, again, that's the, that's the temptation. When fear settles into your mind, well, what's going to happen if I don't? All right. But look at this in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 says, You have become estranged from Christ or cut off from Christ. And keep in mind, he's not talking to sinners. He's talking to the church, okay? To the church. He says, you have been cut off from Christ. You who attempt to be justified or made right with God by the law. Then he says this, you have fallen from grace. Now I say this carefully because to me, this is just a powerful verse. He's saying to everyone who's trying to be right with God because of how good they are, all the good things they've done. All the, to the one who thinks God loves you or God is being good to you, God's going to respond to you, God's going to produce that miracle for you because of something you've done. He says, you have cut yourself off from Christ. Then he says this, you have fallen from grace. Crazy. I mean, that's just a powerful statement, but you have fallen from grace. Then you come to verse five. He says, for we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. In the spirit, we expect that we have been made right with God by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. One more time. Your works, what you've done and what you haven't done, they don't matter anything. What matters now is that faith works through love. Now, you know, I've shared this before. 
for years, that statement used to make the church think we have to love the person that we're praying for. You know, when I love that person, then faith will work for me when I pray for them. You know, as a pastor, I, you know, you're supposed to love everybody. You, you can't be mad at anyone. You can't, you know, you get my point. You're supposed to love everyone because faith works through love. And if you want to have faith working for you, then you have to have love for that person. Let me say this. It's good to love. All right. But John, what we just read, said we love because Jesus first loved us. That's why we love. So instead of focusing on my love for someone else, let me focus on how much God loves me. The more we focus on how much God loves us, faith can work through that. Years ago, there was a, a cartoon I used to watch. I can't tell you the name of it. I don't really remember it. But anyways, there was these uh, five guys. They were given this, these ar- this armor. They would go out and they would fight. A little anime show. Side note, uh, I'm a geek. Anyways, they would uh, put this armor on and they would go out and they would fight this dark, evil force every time, you know, in every episode. And finally, at the end of the season, they go to fight this guy and they all lose. And you're like, what? You know, these are the heroes. How in the world do they lose? And so anyways, this guy comes down. He says, look, you need to take the armor back to where you found it. And that's where it works best. And so this one guy, he has this red armor and his his, you know, his special thing is fire. So he goes back to the place where he found the armor, which is in this volcano. And in the volcano, he gets jumped by the bad guys. And when he starts to fight them, all of a sudden the armor comes alive. Same guy with the blue, this guy who's wearing blue armor. His thing is water. Well, he goes back to the ocean where he found his armor. And sure enough, he gets jumped by some bad guys. He gets trapped. And all of a sudden the armor comes alive. It works best at the place where it was uh, where it originated. Now, let me say this. Faith, all of us, our faith is a gift from God himself. God gave us his faith, gave us his faith out of his love for all of us. And let me say this, just like in that little silly cartoon, the truth, the truth is still relevant to us today. Your faith works best when it's in the environment that it came from. Well, where did your faith come from? It came from his love for you. The more you focus on God's love for you, faith will work best. I'm telling you, it's the times when you're not thinking about God's love for you. It's like that prayer. You have to keep praying and you have to keep praying. And then it didn't happen. So you're still praying and you're still praying. But I'm telling you, if you reminded yourself, I am the one that Jesus loves before you prayed, then gave your request to the Lord. Then after that, kept reminding yourself how much God loved you. I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, the answer would come so much faster for all of us because we wouldn't let fear wouldn't have the ability to slip in. Doubt wouldn't have the ability to slip in because we were focusing on God's love for us. Faith would work better. If that makes sense. I don't know if I can say it that way. That might be horrible English. Doesn't matter. <laughs> now let's do this real quick. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm coming to something. I know we're kind of jumping around the Bible this morning, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. Now let's look at this in verse 13. We're going to read down to verse 16. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We'll read down to 16. Now, right here in verse 13, Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Now, whatever you're tempted by, know this it's not something brand new. Satan hasn't come up with a new temptation for you. Let me say this. The things you've been tempted with has been shared across the board. Then he says this, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear. Now, real quick, I want to make sure we don't miss this. 
Notice what he says. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to men. All right. The temptation to do something, the temptation to do more, that temptation to what if I don't or, or if I don't do it, who's going to do it? That temptation. All right. It's not uncommon. It is common to men. But know this. God is faithful. I say this and I say this with all the love in my heart. Focus on God's faithfulness and the faith will be there that you need. Again, focus on God's faithfulness and the faith that you need will be there. So he says this, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. Now notice right here, it says the way of escape. I went to the Greek and I looked it up. And what you find is that it's not, he makes a way of escape. He makes the way of escape. All right. Now that's important because anytime you see the word T-H-E in the Greek, it's a definitive article. You know, if I were to say, hey, can you pass me a cup of drink? All right. The implication is there's a lot of cups on the table, so to speak, right? But if I say, can you pass me the cup so I can drink? That means there's only one cup that I'm looking for, all right? Now, right here, he uses that same word, T-H-E, the. He's using that word because God doesn't make a way of escape. God makes the way of escape. Now, I'm going to show you what that way of escape is. But again, whenever God uses that word, T-H-E, it's vitally important, all right? Now, look at this in verse 14. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as wise. I'm sorry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. Verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Now, at the end, we're going to take communion. But again, notice what he says. He's talking about God is going to make the way of escape. Whatever the temptation is, the temptation to step into fear, whatever the temptation is, know this. Whatever the problem is in front of you, the way of escape is right here. The cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So right here, and I hope hope you're not missing this. Right here, what he's saying is this. Whatever the problem is, God's way of escape. God has one way, one path out of every problem. And that path is the communion. Now, in our church, we take communion every single week. I mean, multiple times a week. Sometimes some of us take it every single day. But let me say this. However often you take it, know this. God's answer for whatever problem you're is, his way of getting out of that problem is the communion. Think about it like this. How did we get into the problem or the mess that we're in today? Adam and Eve, they ate from the wrong tree. Well, Jesus comes and now he says, here, take this, eat this. And reverse everything that the first two people did. Think about it this way. In Hosea, I think it's Hosea chapter 2 or chapter 3. I want to say it's chapter 2 or 3. Anyways, in Hosea, God says to the mouth of Hosea, he says, I'm going to take Israel who has left me. And they've gone into the wilderness and they've, uh, I'm sorry, not in the wilderness. They've left me for all the idols, all the other gods in the land of Canaan. They've done all these things against me. And then he says this. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Israel like a woman, all right? And I'm going to lead her out into the wilderness. And I'm going to take all the names of the gods and the bales that were in her mouth. And I'm going to take them out of her mouth. Translation, everything that she trusted in, everything she looked to for help, everything she was, everyone she looked to for a source instead of me. He said, I'm going to take her out into the wilderness. And I'm going to remind her that it was me. It was not them, but it's only me. And he says, I'm going to speak kindly to her. I'm going to speak softly to her. I'm going to whisper sweet nothings. That's my paraphrase version. Anyways, he says, I'm going to be romantic to her. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to seduce her back into loving me. Then he says this, and in that day, and all of a sudden, he switches over from talking to Israel to talking about all of us. 
Now, if we had time, we could break that verse down, but we're not. But he says this, in that day, in that day, she'll no longer call me uh, a friend. She'll call me her husband. That's how we know he's talking about all of us. He's talking about the day that Jesus says the bride of Christ is the church of Jesus Christ, the Gentile church. That's all of us. So what he's saying is in the day that the church raises up in that day, she will cry out to me. All right. Now, every time you ask the Lord for something, every time you go to God in prayer, he's saying that in that day, when you cry out to me, I will respond to the heavens. Now, he's not talking about you. He's saying, I'm going to respond to the heavens. Then he says this, the heavens will respond to the earth. Okay. Now, again, God's not saying I'm going to respond to you. He's saying, I'm going to respond to the heavens, the atmospheric heavens. The heavens will respond to the earth. Then he says this, the earth will respond with the grain, the new wine and the oil. Right there, we have the Holy Communion. Most of us don't put the oil in it, but keep in mind, the oil is part of the Holy Communion. Now, knowing that, God's way of escape, God's answer for every problem. Every time you ask the Lord for something, His answer is the Holy Communion. In fact, we have a message on our podcast titled that, um, Communion, God's Answer for Every Problem. Go back and listen to that, but keep in mind, every answer you have, I'm sorry, every problem you have, the answer is in the communion. Now, I say that to say this. Right here, what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, what is the way of escape? Is it not the cup and is it not the bread? When you take communion, whatever the problem you're facing is, God's going to produce that answer in you and for you right there through it. All you have to do is take communion. Now, I say this to be really careful. In fact, you can skip over to chapter 11. We're going to read chapter 11, verse 28 in just a second. But one of the things that used to be a, a big problem that I used to see a lot is that people would take communion, but they rush right through it. Now, I was a big, uh, I used to do this a lot in our church. I would take communion and I would fly through it just so that I could get to the sermon. Because to me, you know, I prepared this message. I can't wait to share it. And so I would just rush right through communion just so we could get to the message. But let me say this. Faith works by love. We just read that. Now, if you're going to take communion, hey, don't you want your faith to work with you, work for you, so that communion will do exactly what God wants it to do? All right. Now, keep in mind, when you take communion, all right, don't rush through it. When you're taking it, remind yourself, hey, Jesus loves me. Because Jesus loves me, he did this. Because Jesus loves me, he shed his blood. All right. When you're looking at the communion and you hold the bread up, keep in mind, the bread speaks to the physical provision. The cup speaks to the spiritual provision. When you look at physically what Jesus went through, by his stripes, we were healed. You know, sometimes we only leave it at the healing part of it, which that's great and all. But keep in mind, it wasn't just the physical part of it. Jesus, I'm sorry, it wasn't just the healing. When it comes to the physical part of it, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that, uh, gosh, my mind is going blank. I can't remember his first or second Corinthians. But either way, in one of the books of, I think it's 2 Corinthians, he goes on to talk about wealth. He says that, hey, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich, but he became poor for our sakes so that through his poverty, we might become rich with his riches. Again, everything Jesus went through physically was to bring us to the point of saying, hey, when I take communion, I'm not just getting healing. I'm getting everything that Jesus has for me. And then when it comes to the cup, the cup was shed. Jesus said himself, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, which was shed for the remission of sin, to remove sin. So don't add on to that. Don't say, well, you know, remove sin until the next sin. No, 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 no. It's to remove sin. So when I drink the cup, I declare my sin has been removed. My sin has been remitted. I'm not taking this to be forgiven. I'm taking this because I already am forgiven. Now, when you do it that way, you remind yourself that Jesus loves me. What happens? Well, 
If you need something physically from the Lord, when you take communion, keep in mind that physical thing is going to start manifesting. It's going to start working for you. It's going to start happening for you. Because our answer from God, God's promise is this. When you cry out, I'll respond to the heavens. The heavens will respond to the earth. The earth will respond with the grain, the wine, and the oil. Translation, the answer you need will come out of you taking the Holy Communion. Now, don't take my word for it. Some people say, well, Matthew, you know, what about the danger of taking communion? What happens when you take it the wrong way? You know, you know how, do you, how do you reconcile the two? Let's look at this. Look at verse 28. Actually, let's pick up at verse 27. Verse 27 down to verse 29. I apologize. 27 down to 29. I'm sorry, 26 down to 29. Verse 26, Paul says this, For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, one more time, whoever eats the bread, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Notice it's not unworthily, but it's in an unworthy manner. It's not the worthiness of the person who takes it. It's the way in which they take it. Now, I want to be really careful. Keep in mind, Jesus did not die for worthy people. Jesus did not die for people who deserved it. So being unworthy is the qualification to take it. If you have sinned, you're qualified to take it. If you've never sinned before, you are not qualified to take it. Again, it's not the worthiness of the person taking, it's how they take it. And notice what he says, but let a man examine himself. How? In light of the body and of the blood. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. In other words, think about it this way. When you hold the bread, ask yourself, am I sick? Am I in pain? Is there anything physically wrong with me? Am I missing anything in my life? Is there a financial crisis? Is there anything going on in my life that's wrong? If there is, the answer to that question is yes, then know this, examine yourself in the light of the bread. When I take this bread, all right, go through this in your head. Remind yourself, is there something wrong that I need this bread for? Great. If there is, perfect. Now, when I take the bread, examine myself in the light of the bread. Once I take this bread, this is going to be gone. My problem can't exist here and exist at the cross. So when I take the bread, I see that Jesus had that problem. Jesus carried that problem for me at the cross. And by his stripes, I was healed. All right. Uh, even if it's the poverty, he became he who was rich, became poor with my poverty. Where? At the cross so that I might have his wealth right here. And that way, examine yourself in light of the bread that you're taking. Then he says, what? The, what about the cup? You say, well, look, you know, I, I've sinned. I've made a lot of mistakes. Paul said, whatever we do outside of faith is a sin. Guess what? You woke up this morning, you got dressed, you brushed your teeth. You didn't think about faith at all. Surprise, whatever you do outside of faith is a sin. If you want to start talking about what sin is and what sin isn't, you by sheer existence, all right, that's called sin. (laughs) But anyways, examine yourself in the light of the cup. Hey, when I take this cup, I'm reminding myself that Jesus removed my sin, not me, not my confession, not even my repentance. Jesus removed all my sin. Jesus did that part for me. So when I drink the cup, I remind myself, Jesus is the one that set me free, that removed my sin. Then you look at verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Let me say this. The judgment he's talking about, you can read the rest of the chapter for yourself, but the judgment that he's talking about is this. There's a judgment that's on the world because of what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. Because of Adam's sin in the garden, guess what? There is a judgment sentence on the world that sickness and poverty exist. Now, because sickness and poverty exist, 
when you eat and drink in an unworthy manner, not unworthily, but you eat and drink, not being conscious of what Jesus did for you. You know what happens? That same judgment that's in the world, it can still exist in your home or in your life. But right here, notice what the trick is. Verse 30. I'm sorry, verse 29. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, singular, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many fall asleep. Translation, many die before their time. What he's saying right here is this, for the reason of what? Not discerning the Lord's body. You know, the word discern right here is the word Greek word diakrino in the, in the Greek. It's the word diakrino. Literally, diakrino literally means make a difference. When you eat the bread, and we're about to do that in just a moment, but when you eat the bread, do you discern that the bread is making a difference in your life? Do you discern that the cup has made a difference in your life? I mean, come on, when you take it, ask yourself, do I really believe that this is making a difference? Or am I just eating bread, drinking grape juice like we do every week because that's what we do? When you take it, diacrino, see that the bread is making a difference. You know, uh, sometimes at work when things tend to get tense, Sometimes I'll, you know, whatever, on my lunch break or, you know, when I get home, whatever, sometimes I'll sit down and I'll take communion. And in that moment, I have to go back through my notes. I'll say, okay, Holy Spirit, remind me, remind me again. How do I discern properly the body of the Lord? Do you see the bread making a difference? Do you see that Jesus's body made the difference? You know, when I'm sick, sometimes I have to remind myself, hey, it's by his stripes, by his stripes, by what he did. I take the medicine, but I remind myself, it's not the medicine that's going to heal me. It's the stripes that Jesus took for me. It's the payment he made. So when I take the bread, I see that he took my sickness. He carried it literally for me and paid for my healing. And by his stripes, I am healed. Judge myself healed through the work that he did for me. It's the same for all of us. We have to see the bread making the difference. Diacrino, making the difference in our life. You know, let me have a quick side note. I'm going to close in just a second. We're going to look at Psalm. Where are we at? We'll look at Psalm 104, and I'm going to close in just a second. Uh, but did you know that in Isaiah 53, in fact, turn there for just one second. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And uh, I hate the way that it's been translated. If you have an amplified edition, it might translate it a little bit better. Uh, but I hate the way that it's been translated. Because what happens is people read this verse and they don't, the faith they need to receive the miracle isn't actually released because of the way it's been translated. All right. Now, right here in Isaiah 53, look at verse four. The Lord says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem, sorry, Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Now, right here, he's clearly talking about Jesus. And that's the verse that we quote whenever we take communion. But look at verse four one more time. He says, surely he, talking about Jesus, surely Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That word griefs and sorrows has just been translated so poorly. If you read that on the surface, it looks like, well, he carried my grief, the things that make me sad and my sorrows. But the word griefs actually in the Hebrew is the word he carried my sicknesses. And right here, I'm sorry, he bore my sicknesses and it says he carried our sorrows. The word sorrows actually is the word pain. Now, if you're not careful, some people will try to over spiritualize it. They'll say, well, well, you know, it's, it's griefs and sorrows or, or even knowing this now, they'll say sicknesses. Well, it's a spiritual sickness. And the word pain is our, it's our spiritual pain. It's what hurts me in my spirit. You know, let me say this. 
Do you know that Matthew actually quoted from this verse, this same passage, when he was talking about what he saw Jesus do? Matthew saw Jesus healing people, healing the sick, and Matthew quoted from this verse, physically, I'm sorry, people who were physically sick, people who were physically lame, uh, physically paralyzed, you know, people who were physically physically struggling with sickness. Matthew saw Jesus healing them, and Matthew quoted from this, Isaiah 53, verse 4, surely he has borne our sicknesses and he's carried our pains. It's not a spiritual thing. It's a physical thing. If you are physically sick, he has physically taken care of it. And if it's a physical pain, he has physically taken care of it. He wants to set you free. Don't over-spiritualize what Jesus wants to do in your life. All right. Now you say, well, Matthew, how does the communion come into play? Again, again, when you take communion, remind yourself, I am the one that Jesus loves. You know, we're going to do it in just a second. But when you do it, hold the bread and say, because you love me, you gave your life for me. Because you love me, you took this sickness. Because you love me, you saw this problem and you provided an answer. Because you love me, you will move for me. Then take the bread. When you take the cup, remind yourself, you didn't have to shed your blood seven different times for me. You didn't have to. One drop of blood would have been more than enough. But seven different times you shed your blood because you wanted to set me free seven different ways. You didn't want to just set me free from sin. You wanted to make me righteous forever. But you also wanted to set me free from every single curse. I mean, when you start doing that, reminding yourself when you take communion, I'm telling you, God's answer for that problem will begin to manifest. And if it doesn't happen immediately, know this. Every time you take it, it's happening a little more every single time. You know, for years I used to think, well, if God doesn't heal me instantly when I pray, it means my faith isn't as great as the next person's. For some people, it happens instantaneously. But for other people, it's they will get well over time. They will get healed over time. So keep taking communion. Communion sets you free from that. Well, it didn't happen immediately. God must not be doing it. No, communion sets you free. Keep in mind, when Jesus told the parable of the sower, he didn't say that the seed grows to a hundredfold the very next day. He said some grows 30, some grows 50, some grows, I'm sorry, some grows 30, some grows 60, some grows 100. It doesn't have to be instantaneous. Sometimes it can be 30, 60, 100. So relax, take communion today. Take it this evening. Take it tomorrow morning. Take it. Keep taking it. Now, let me show you this in Psalm 92, and I'll close with this. We're going to look at Psalm 92, and uh, we're just going to go through Psalms real quick. Just a few places in Psalms, and we'll finish. Come on. Here we go. Look at this in Psalm 92. And uh, I'm going to show you something in Psalm 104, but we have to look at Psalm 92 because the Bible has to interpret the Bible. I don't ever want to just give you a translation. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. All right. Psalm 92. Look at this in verse 12. David says this. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Keep in mind the cedars in Lebanon. I had to look this up a little bit. But the cedars in Lebanon, what he's saying is this. These were some of the biggest trees in Lebanon. They were some of the most beautiful trees in Lebanon. But as big as they were, what made them so cool is this. That the bugs could not actually destroy the roots of the tree. They couldn't. For some reason, they couldn't get into the roots of the tree. So what, what makes the cedars in Lebanon so unique is this. I'm sorry, so cool. The reference here is this. He's saying the righteous, you and me who believe in Christ, not by what we do, but by what we believe. In Christ, you are like the cedars in Lebanon. The enemy can't destroy your roots, all right? And keep in mind, your foundation should always be his love for you and me. So right here, he says this. You shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And this actually, verse 13, I have this in my house. I love this. He says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, that's you and me, 
All right. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. I mean, come on, when you see this right here, he's saying you are like the cedars in Lebanon. You are like a tree that's planted in the house of God. And everyone who's planted in the house of God, you will continue bearing fruit even in your old age. You'll continue bearing fruit. You know, sometimes you see a tree that's really, really old. You know, it's dying. Uh, the roots are dead, but the tree itself is still standing. All right. And over time, the branches will fall off here and there. Let me say this. Don't look at yourself that way. See yourself like right here. What he's saying, even in your old age, your roots are your roots are in in the house of God. So because your roots are in the house of God, even in your old age, you're still bearing fruit. You're still bearing fruit. God is still giving you new ideas to make money. God is still giving you new ideas. He's still giving you fresh favor, not just for yesterday, but for today and for tomorrow. God's favor is still real and relevant for you. Everything you need, you're like a tree planted in the house of God. Now, knowing this, why does he do this? So that your life will declare that God is righteous in what he does for you. In all your mistakes, God is still righteous in what he does for you. Now, look at this. Flip over to 104. I'm, I'm bringing this to a close. Look at this in 104. I want to show you this. Look at this in 104. Um, we'll read verse 14 down to 16. In verse 14, the psalmist is talking about what God has done. He says, God has caused the grass to grow for the cattle and the vegetation for the service of man. He's talking about what he is doing, what he does. He says this, um, that he may bring forth fruit from the earth. Verse 15, and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted. Now, I'm going to close with this. I want you to see this. He says one more time in verse 14, God causes grass to grow for the cattle, vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth. He does this because he wants to do it for men, for us. Then he says in verse 15, and he makes the wine and he produces the wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread which strengthens man's heart. Right here, we have the Holy Communion again. Now watch this. He does these three things, but for what reason? The trees of the Lord. What do we say we are? We are the cedars of Lebanon, right? The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted. Every time you take communion, you're getting younger and younger and younger. You're getting healthier and healthier and healthier. Whatever the fear is, the, the temptation to slip into that problem, whatever it is, every time you take communion, the stress is not, let me say this, the communion is reversing the results of stress on your body. Stress can make you feel old, look old, can produce symptoms in your body. But know this, every time you take communion, you are reversing those lying symptoms. Every time you take it, you're getting younger and younger and younger. Look what he said one more time. The wine makes glad the heart. The oil makes your face shine and the bread strengthens your heart. God is interested in your physical appearance. Like what we just read in 104. I'm sorry. What we just read in um, 92. He's interested in how you physically appear because he wants the world to look at you, see all the problems you make and yet still see God is righteous in giving you favor anyways. Now, let me close with this. 105. Look at this. Verse 37. Very next chapter. In verse 37, and I'll close with this. Whenever we talk about communion, we always say it, but we don't always read the verse. And I wanted to show you this verse. Do you know that there was about 2.5 million people in bondage in Egypt when God called Moses to lead them out of Egypt? 2.5 million people. Now, out of 2.5 million people, some were elderly, some were young. I mean, you had a, a, an amazing, you know, 
age range in that 2.5 million people. But on the day, I'm sorry, on the evening that God took all 2.5 and led them out of Egypt through Moses, on the evening of their uh, exodus, all right, on the evening of it, God told Moses, tell the people to eat the roasted lamb and put the blood on their doorposts, the first Passover ever. Today, when we take communion, we are taking communion looking back at what Jesus did for us. Yes, but it goes all the way back to that very first Passover when they ate the lamb and put the blood over the doorpost. Now, knowing this, did you know the very next morning, look at this in verse 36. It's talking about what God did in Egypt. He says, God also destroyed all the firstborn of the land, the first and all their strength on the night of the Passover. But then in verse 37, he also brought his people out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Now, let me say this, and I'm, I'm done. This is my last verse. Let me say this. They ate the lamb. They put the blood over the doorpost. When we take communion, we eat the bread, we drink the cup. But it says, notice, he brought them out with silver and gold. If what you need is a financial miracle, if that's what you need, do this. Take communion and believe that when you take it, you are on the evening of the silver and gold finding its way to you. And not just on that. The next morning, 2.5 million people walked out. Not one person was weak. The word feeble, weak, sick. Not one person was uh, had the symptoms of being old. I mean, come on, feeble. Not one person was barren. God brought 2.5 million people out. Not one person was weak, sick, barren, uh, elderly. God brought every one of them out strong, youthful, alive, and vibrant. Knowing that if God can do that for 2.5 million people, all right, who did it under the shadow. But today, this morning, we have the substance. If he could do that for them under the shadow, how much more can he do for you and me under the substance? So if you have the communion, let's go ahead and get that ready and let's take that together now. If you would go ahead and get whatever you're going to take it with, the bread in front of you, and just hold it out, and I'm going to pray for it. And uh, I say this all the time, but if you're ever taking communion at home and you don't know what to say or you don't know what to pray, at the end of all of our sermons, we always put the, I've been trying to make sure we have the communion on the podcast, so you can always go back to the podcast and take communion with us as a church, all right? But I'm going to pray for the bread. If you would just hold it out in front of you. Heavenly Father, as we hold this bread this morning, we don't want to move through this too quickly. We, we, we want to say thank you for making the, the price. I'm sorry, for paying the price that you didn't have to pay. This morning, as we hold this bread, we thank you that because you loved us, you found a way to save us. Because you loved us, you found a way to cause us to be victorious in every problem. Because you love us, you found a way to get us out of the temptation to stand up and do something. You found a way. You created a way by sending Jesus to stand in our place in judgment. And Father, as we take this bread this morning, we declare that there is none feeble among us. Father, for everyone that's watching this, everyone that's listening to this, there is none sick among us. Lord, I thank you that as we take this bread, whatever the the problem might be that anyone is facing, if it's a financial problem, Lord, as we take this bread, we declare that the answer is starting to manifest even right now. Father, if it's a relationship problem, as we take this bread, we declare that the answer, the solution is beginning to manifest right now. That restoration is beginning to manifest even right now. Lord, if someone is sick, struggling with anything physically in their body, even if it's just a pain in the leg or a pain in the lower back, whatever it is, Father, 
Whatever the sickness or the pain is, we declare this morning that Jesus bore all our sickness and carried all our pains. And we thank you that by his stripes, we were healed. As we hold this bread, we thank you that because you love us, you sent your only son, your only son, to carry that and pay for it for us. And as we take this bread, we declare that by his stripes, we, our families, and our house are healed, are healthy, restored, and prosperous. And we thank you for it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I say this carefully before we take the cup. I believe that is God's intention for the church, not to ask for healing, but to believe him for health. My prayer for everyone this morning and moving forward is this, that divine health will start to manifest in all of our lives. Let's go ahead and take communion. Let's go ahead and take the, the cup. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you shed your blood for us. Again, one drop would have been more than enough for a lifetime and eternity. But you shed your blood to set us free from every curse, even the generational curse, to set us free from stress, to set us free from fear, anxiety, trying to figure out how we were going to win in life. You set us free by your blood. Lord, your blood ushered in a new covenant that said it's no longer about what we do, but it's about looking at what you have done for all of us. So as we drink this cup, we declare that we have been made righteous now and forevermore. And as sure as we are righteous, even as Rahab's family was saved by her declaration, as we drink this cup, we declare that our families and our household, we are saved because of what your blood has done for us. Father, we thank you that the power of your blood is still being discovered to this day. It's still being discovered. So, Father, we thank you for the things that we have yet to discover, that we receive those benefits this morning. And we thank you again that your blood was shed to remove all our sin in you. We have the gift of righteousness and we thank you that your goodness and mercy are hunting us down all the days of our life. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. Um, that said, I love you. I'm going to pray for you and I know that you're going to have a blessed week. So let me go ahead and bless you real quick. If you would just hold your hands out. What we used to do is, uh, you know, when I was in um, high school, our teacher used to say, you know, hold your hands out like you're receiving. Hold them up, hold them out, however you want to do it. But may the Lord bless you in your going out and in your coming in. May the Lord bless you this coming week and continue to open doors of opportunity for you, even in the midst of this crisis. May he continue to open doors of opportunity for you and for your family and for your business. May the Lord keep you and your family always at the right place at the right time. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and may you enjoy his peace this week. In Jesus name. Amen. I love you. I love you. Again, thank you for watching and we will see you all Friday or next week. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.